Hello, spooky guys and girls. Welcome to another edition of 28 Days Ladyer. I am one of your hosts, Sophie, joined as always by my effervescent, effervescent? What just happened? Effervescent? Dude, you just call me tiny bird, you cunt. (laughs) Effervescent co-host, Hannah. I'm just here with my every pheasant, Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to joke about how bad I mispronounced that word, and then it just took a turn. So anyway, Hannah, how have you been? Pheasants are special. They're they're more pretty than other birds we eat, and they have beautiful feathers. Yeah, they're beautiful plumage. They're luxurious to eat. So I'll take it. Yeah. Um, at least I yes, wasn't it's like I, your ever resident pigeon. Pheasant. I wasn't like ever pigeon, Hannah. <laughs> Although I would honestly take that because I've had a new appreciation for pigeons because one of my boys I nanny is like obsessed with pigeons. Okay, wait. I didn't know that. Is the older I try to or tell younger him one obsessed with pigeons? The younger one. Does he know how gross they are? I try to tell him they were sky rats and he was like, pigeons are my favorite. They're not sky rats. Oh, no. I mean, someone's got to like him, I guess. But then um, we saw a uh, a warbler, a yellow warbler or a blurbler, as he called it. His new favorite. And um, a goldfinch. So we were out walking and he said, he said, blurblers are my favorite. Is this a little bird? And I'm a little boy. And then I said, I said, that's great. I like them too. He said, yeah, glurblers are my favorite. Then goldfinch. Then, well, the pigeon. Yeah. I mean, you just got to keep showing him cooler birds and pigeon is going to get knocked out real fast. I don't know. The other day, we were at the park because the blue angels were like flying over Chicago. So we want to get a good vantage point and... He was getting a little too far away from me, and I'm trying to take them places, but, you know, maintain social distance. So um, I was like, hey, buddy, like, you're getting a little too far. You got to come back towards me. And he turned his head to look at me, and he just goes, <gasps> pigeon. And then he just ran. Like, I have never seen him run for anything. He ran right past me, and he just went with both arms out like pigeon. And I was like, what the fuck? You don't run and try to hug pigeons? This has never happened before. <laughs> So it. something's happening with him with the with the mighty mighty pigeon, but all right, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. I really thought that um, you video calling me at my old apartment when I used to like run outside to try to scare pigeons away would have like knocked them off the pigeon train. I remember the older one being like, "Why is she trying to scare pigeons away?" And I was like, "Cause they always poop on my porch." And you just going. Pooping on the porch is gross. Like, you wouldn't want anyone to poop on your porch. <laughs> and I love the correlate between, like, pigeon poop is hu- and human poop is the same. Mm. Yeah. Well, we've been having a lot of discussions because they've been asking their parents for cats and dogs a lot. And I've been trying to explain to them how, like, you know, if you have a dog, you have to take your dog for a walk because dogs poop outside. And if you have a cat, they poop in a box and you have to clean the box. And mm-hmm. um, for both of those things, like... Uh, the older one, he's three and a half. He's a little more like scheming. He said, uh, he said, I'll get a dog, but I will not take him outside. So he will never poop. It's not how that works, unfortunately. Yeah, that was like his, that was like his, uh, his idea of how you could fix the problem of having to 
pick up the it. poop is he's like, I just won't take him outside. And then I'll never poop. You were like, problem um, solved. Well done. Yeah. Also, um, I've discovered in my potty training experience that my two and a half year old is like the cutest little thing in the world. And the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life is deal with him. Excuse me. When he's just had an accident because it's the cutest thing in the world. Like we were running around playing tag today. He was so cute running around all giggly. And all of a sudden he just stops and he just goes, Oh no. I peed everywhere. I was like, oh, no. And he was like, I had an accident. <laughs> and I was like, it's okay. But it's also like. You're trying so hard not to laugh at him. It's important that you not shame them, but also that they know it's bad so that they don't think it's, like, cool to just piss in your pants all the time. Right. So I'm trying to, like, be firm. Like, that's not good. But also, like, not make him feel bad. But also his little face. Like, at one point. I said, is there anything left? And he said, no, everything came out of my penis. It's all over my pants. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> I'm like biting my arm like, oh, don't laugh, don't laugh. And I was like, I was like, okay, well, let's take it off. And he went, it's all, it's all wet. And I was just like, okay. Because <laughs> I had to like put him in the bathtub and like hose him down with the shower head. It's yeah. just the whole thing. I mean, tag can be a little overstimulating for all of us. Yeah, it was so funny. It was right before I left, too. So, like, they picked me up and dropped me off right now. And, like, <laughs> the mom was driving me home. And I was like, I guess tag got a little too exciting. And she was like, it happens. <laughs> um. Yeah, that was just a little tangent I just went on. But it was so funny. Like, oh. Speaking no. of tangents, how's your noggin doing? Um, my noggin is doing mostly better. I think, um, I slept in a lot and really didn't look at screens very much, um, which did, did my brain a ton of good. Um, and then also like, I don't know for all you ladies out there who develop, um, cysts on your ovaries as I do periodically, um, it's often like there's no pain I've ever felt worse um, than like a UTI or a cyst on my ovary. So uh, I also started developing a major cyst in my ovary that I could like feel from the outside. I saw a picture of it. It was terrifying. Hannah sent me a picture and was like, my stomach is very swollen. And the angle of the photo made me think it was her butt. And when I realized it wasn't her butt, I was so horrified. (laughs) Yeah. Like the first time I had one. I thought I was dying, and I went to the ER, and they did an um, an internal sonogram. So, like, for all you dudes, that's where they stick a phallic mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, thing. Ultrasound. Up your, ultrasound yeah. up your vagina and, like, push it up against your organs and shit. Um it feels weird. It feels weird. And if, you ha- if you're if you very descended and in pain, it hurts a lot. 
Um, so when I did it that time, I thought I was like having appendicitis or something. And they're like, oh, you have a really large cyst on your ovary. And it was not the best because like no disrespect to him, but it was like a very young male doctor. The, uh, the technician was a female. So she was really sweet. And like, at one point I was like almost crying because of the pain. And she was like, do you need to take a break? Like she was really sweet, but Mm -hmm. the doctor comes in afterwards and he's basically like, yeah, so basically you have a cyst on your ovary. There's really nothing you can do, but just kind of wait it out. Um, at that point I was waking up like every night in the middle of the night in excruciating pain. So he's like, so basically, once you get a cyst on your ovary, you're more likely to get them more often. Yeah. Um, And he was like, most of the time, it's not that big of a deal. How it feels right now is basically normal. So if it feels worse than that, then it's a problem. Or if you're, like, peeing blood, then you would need to come in. He's like, otherwise, just, like, get a hot compress and some Advil. And I'm like, you motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you get a hot compress. Yeah. So I get them quite frequently and, um, I had a ultrasound done of my abdomen a while back for some digestive issues. And when I did that, they were like, the ultrasound didn't discover anything wrong with your digestive system, but did you know that you have two cysts in your left ovary and one in your right ovary? And I was like, uh, like, sure. Um, so anyway, I got one more recently that was like really bad. So I feel like the pain of that kind of like really knocked out some of my concussion stress because I just wasn't focused on it. Like, and it was just yep. different, I don't know, neurons or P neurons or whatever were getting the brunt of the work. But then um, yesterday at work, I was playing basketball in the basement with the boys I nanny and the three and a half year old took a basketball and hit me in my head so hard that my glasses fell off my face and he didn't hit your glasses no no he hit me in the back of my head yes yeah that's what I wanted to clarify it's not like he knocked the glasses off he hit me in the back of my head and my glasses fell off my face so yesterday I got rocked and I had like a horrible concussion, like not concussion, what am I saying? I had a terrible headache, probably because of a concussion. And then I had to try to explain to him, like I wasn't mad because I knew he didn't do it on purpose, but that it's really important that like we be careful of my head. It was a thing. And I don't know if anyone besides, I mean, I know Sophie watches happy endings but if anyone out there loves happy endings as much as i do like when penny has to wear that helmet because of how many concussions she gets like i'm scared i'm gonna be that one day in the not so distant future (laughs) i mean i would love to live in a i mean i don't wish that for you but i would love to live in a universe that's more like happy endings is what i was gonna say and i feel like if you were going to be anyone from Happy Endings, it would be Penny, right? Like, we can all agree, I think, pretty pretty clearly. Wow. Um, I mean, I'll take that. I'll take that in stride. Um, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, I feel like I'm Jane, and I don't feel like that's better. I honestly <laughs> might be, am I, I, I don't know. 
I don't know. Am I, were you gonna, am I Dave? <laughs> I was about to say, were you going to ask if you're Dave? <laughs> yes, love it. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, like, unless someone is telling you, like, you're Brad, like, they're all pretty bad. Yeah. Like, they're great. They're hilarious, but, like, they're they all, all something good that's, like, glaringly, glaringly wrong with them. Except for, like, Brad yes. is amazing. Yeah. But is I always love that. that I, is it funny that I almost asked you how's Brad? I did oh, Sophie, I didn't. that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was Brad. I, I wish loved... I was that good in tiny, tiny uh, cut-off shorts with my, like, <laughs> Yeah, just, guns. baby, work it out. Baby, baby, work it out. That's, like, one of my favorite things of all time. If anybody needs something just to make you feel better, you can find it on YouTube. I watch it all the time. Just the clip of Brad and Jane coming in to breakfast and then being like, like, Max attacked my, the thing I love most in this world, my lotions and my creams. And then Jane says, that's why we're late. We figured, why not take advantage of the situation? And then it cuts to him and those cutoffs will just glitter all over him. And she's like, bring the guns out. Bring the guns out. And she's like... Make it rain. Oh, I love that so that much. Show is, that show is a gift to all of us. Also, wow, we're like tangent-centric up here in the top of this episode, but um, I'm on a, one of the cases I'm on, co-counsel uh, from a different... She's not in our office. She's a professor at Cornell. She's a law professor at Cornell in the International Human Rights Law Clinic. She is like a very important woman. But her name is Sandra. Every time I get on a call with her, I want to go, Sandra! Sandra! (laughs) But I don't think she watches Bob's Burgers. And I was on a Zoom call yesterday with her. But, like, again, because she is co-counsel and she teaches at Cornell, it's like her and her, uh, I don't know what the proper term is, her teaching assistant who's, like, also an attorney, Mm -hmm. plus all of her, like, law students. No, because she's an attorney. Oh. Um. Plus all of her law students and then like this other attorney from a law firm in Columbus that I don't know. And then everyone from our office plus <laughs> these like two filmmakers we're working with to do like a clemency film for our video or for our client. And like she gets on the call and everyone's like, oh, hey, Sandra. And I wanted to go, Sandra. And I was like, not appropriate. This is not the time. Maybe it but didn't how time. Happy ask would her. You, how happy would you be? Like how amazing would it be if somebody else on that call goes, Sandra. And like if go, they also This is fun. <laughs> Yeah, like that would be the best if it turned it out they be. also knew. It would be stellar. Um, okay, Hannah. Should well, we mention that, um, you know, before we get into it, that we both put on lipstick for this yeah. recording just because? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> listen, we've talked about how quarantine, uh, I guess some people are like, quarantine's been so good for my face and like not for not for us. No. Um but, you know, sometimes you just put lipstick on at, like, 9.30 at night with your sister because why not, you know? Yeah, because we were both like, I got this color I'm really excited about and I have no reason to wear it. Yeah, basically. I mean, I was supposed to be going to a Kesha concert tomorrow that got canceled, so I'm going to wear all the weird makeup. Mm, I was supposed to be going to see um, Casey Wilson of Happy Endings in August. Hasn't officially been canceled yet but i 
have a feeling. Okay, well, talk to me when it gets canceled. I was supposed to be seeing Kesha and Big Freedia tomorrow at an outdoor concert. Ouch. Yeah. And they were like, we're not even going to, we're not even, uh, we're not going to reschedule it. It's just not happening. Oh, it's no. Yeah. So, um, yeah, with all of my friends that were supposed to go to the Kesha concert, I told them that what I want to do is, like, I'll put together a playlist of, like, all my favorite Big Freedia and Kesha songs, and then I want us to just, like, all get dressed up and get on Zoom and, like, get drunk and dance together. <laughs> that is a great idea. <laughs> so I love that. So hopefully we can do that, because uh, I have seen Big Freedia live several times, but I've never gotten to see Kesha live, and I was so excited. Um, it will happen, and another chance will come, but that was disappointing. Um, and I, there's really no good way to segue from Kesha into our movie for this week, uh, so we're just going to go for it. This week, Hannah, we are discussing the film from 2018 called The Wind, written by <sighs> Teresa Sutherland and directed by Emma Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really loving your Foley sound effects. Um, so this movie um, stars Caitlin Gerard as Lizzie Macklin, and she Which, is. If anybody used to watch um, back in the day, YouTube had a channel called Wigs, and it was just like I still don't even really know what it was, but a lot of really famous people were on it. And it was just these, like, little vignette stories, videos, movies, I don't know, um, starring, like, various famous people. And she was in one called Jan. So for, like, a half an hour of this movie, I was like, why do I know her? Oh, wow. And I figured out it was from that, but then I had to, like, Google what her name was and hers. Nice. Okay. So that's awesome. So she plays Lizzie Macklin. She's a young uh, wife on the frontier during the westward expansion in the United States. She lives on the plains with her husband, Isaac, and they are sort of the only people for miles and miles and miles until this other very young couple, Emma and Gideon, move in to a cabin that is, what do you think, Hannah? Half a mile, sort of like across the plains. It's like yes. they can see it, but it's quite far. Mm -hmm. Um. So the movie opens with this shot of two men standing outside of a old prairie home and in the dawn hours and Lizzie walks outside and she's in a nightgown and she is covered in blood mm -hmm. and holding something close to her chest that swat that looks like a, a baby probably swaddled yeah. and they take the baby and walk away and um, what in what ensues from that point on is a nonlinear story where we are seeing we sort of go back to the beginning of Lizzie and Isaac's relationship with Emma and Gideon. At the beginning of the movie, the baby was Emma's. Emma is dead. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of go back to when Emma and Gideon first moved to the house. Uh, across from them and sort of see their relationship build and tensions begin to strain. Um, and throughout the film, there is this kind of recurring idea that there is something wrong with the land or that there is something in the wind. There is something creepy and, and evil and not right 
yeah. about the land where they're living. Um, so I want to share a quick story. I got to see this movie at Panic Fest in 2018, and it was really neat because um, I believe it was Teresa Sutherland's sister. Teresa Sutherland is the writer. I believe it was her sister. I hope that I'm not getting that wrong. Um, was at the screening I went to. So before the screening started, she got up to the, the front of the theater and was like, hey, my sister helped, you know, create this movie and she's really nervous about it showing at this festival. And I want to show her that like there's a theater full of people here who are excited to watch it. And so she like took a video of everyone kind of waving and cheering before the movie. Um, and I really, really, really enjoyed this movie when we watched it at Panic Fest. I was super excited to see that it had come to VOD and was now streaming for folks. Um, so Hannah, I'm curious what your thoughts were about The Wind. Um, I also really liked it. Um, and I think that that's so cool that you got to like wave and show her. Like, I think that's really cool. It was very um, sweet. I read an interview with... Which one was the writer? Teresa Sutherland. Teresa Sutherland. I read an interview with her where she talked about how she um, had been at a party or something where she was talking about how she grew up in Kansas. And um, somebody asked her, like, oh, have you ever read anything about how women in, like, the early days of settling in the Midwest used to go crazy and she was like, what? Tell me everything. Mm. Um, so she actually read a bunch of diaries written by women who were early settlers of the Midwest and took a lot of that as inspiration for this movie. So when I was reading that, I was like, oh, yes. Like, <laughs> here we go. Because... I guess it's kind of crazy. I haven't really talked about it that much on this podcast when it's something that I talk about probably once a week in my everyday life. But I am deeply, deeply interested in the Donner Party and just like the story of Manifest Destiny in early America. Um, so with a lot of early settler type stories I get like really into it because I just am so fascinated by the mindset and like the I don't know the history of all of it and just how different people handle it or handled it and then kind of came to grips with like the crazy shit that would go on like I'm just fascinated so Reading that, I was, like, super stoked, and I was in, like, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and I think, like you said, I think so often, I think even those those of us that don't have the sort of same experience and awareness of thinking about westward expansion and manifest destiny and the frontier, I think it's easy to sort of gloss over it and just think, yeah, all these people moved across the country. Sure. Because right now the concept of going from Missouri to California or Chicago to, you know, Utah, that's a big move, but yeah, you could do it. Right. 
I think sometimes we forget the gravity of someone and it's they really I think do a good job in this movie of hammering at home that like these two young couples um Lizzie and Isaac have moved from St. where they were in I think they were in St. Louis before yeah um and she so was, was born in Germany right um but they're I mean they're out there there's no one else out there when Emma and Gideon move out there and Emma's saying you know is there a church out here and Lizzie says not yet there aren't enough people Emma says how many people are there and she goes well now four I mean the idea that that's those are the only people who are around now that's all you have I mean I think we're recording this while we're all quarantining during a pandemic um and while I don't want it to diminish the difficulty of being quarantined and trying to socially isolate during these times the idea that there just aren't any other people around, you yeah. don't have any way to communicate with people without writing a letter. I mean, even if you wrote a letter, what are you going to do with it? There's nowhere to take it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, that was something that um, that she said in the interview I read with her. She was basically saying part of what inspired her to write this movie was this idea that so much of what we see when we see, like, Westerns in film – like that genre is like cowboys and like the men they go off mm-hmm. to you know to do that to do a quote unquote job or to hunt something or but it's always like these like valiant men like they're the cowboys they're running shit whatever and she's like we don't really ever stop to think that when the men would leave that means a woman would be alone right. in the house Right. Where there's no one around for miles. Right. And that in and of itself is really scary. And just to read that, I'm like, I can't believe I never thought of it that way. Like, so many Westerns start with all the men in the house being like, we gotta go. Yeah. And a lot of times it's one, it's like one woman who's Mm -hmm. like, okay, good luck. And it's like, that means she's alone this whole time. Like, yeah. if you think about, like, the searchers, right, where yes. yeah. that whole movie is, like, them going to find the people who killed um, the daughter. It's like the, the rest of the women who live in that homestead area just have to stay there and wait for the men to come back. Like, what if the people who killed her come back? Like, the the fact that I never thought of it that way... Right. ...is really, like, astonishing. And it's something that we really don't reference or acknowledge in, like, the way we think of our history. Yeah. And I, I'm really glad you brought that up. So I uh, read an article in Technically, Variety. she brought it, for, brought it up first, but... Yes, you're right. I'm glad you brought up her. I'm glad you brought up her interview. I'm glad so I did I read, my research, my homework for you. Yeah. So I read this article um, in Variety that was a review of this movie, and I think you will appreciate this. It says the doorway shot in John Ford's The Searchers is one of the most influential cinematic frames of all time. Yes, but, there's two of them: one at the beginning and one at the end. But it's not often that we really parse the meaning of that iconic image or seek to understand the way it has shaped our understanding of the Western as an outdoorsy, masculine genre. Emma Tammy's feature debut, a clever, if low-boil, 
horror western provokes such ruminations by being essentially a reverse of that shot. Instead of our eye following John Wayne walking off into a bright rectangle of scrubby land framed by the dark silhouette of a cabin doorway, the wind imagines a wild west where the man walks off into darkness and we stay inside the brightly lit cabin where the women are. That is not to suggest that there is anything cozily domestic about Tammy's vision of the feminine west. Like, I love... So I... I remember I have I had not seen the searchers upon reading this article I looked up I mean I've seen that iconic shot I don't think I linked it was from that movie so I looked up the shot and I love the idea that in that movie the doorway is like the frame and it's all black and all mm -hmm. we see is like the the frontier ahead of him is his for the taking right yeah and we have the reversal of that with this opening shot in this movie where Lizzie comes out of the house where the men are waiting for her, right? Yeah. Like, we learn later that Emma was already dead mm -hmm. and Lizzie had to extract the baby from her dead body. Yeah. And the men waited outside. Like, that was not for them. That was for her to figure out. And they were just going to wait outside until she was done. And the idea... I think it does such a great job of establishing very early on that even though women in that time would have been like left at home and it's not like, oh, well, you're just left at home with nothing to do, right? Like we see her yeah. chopping wood, tending to the animals, digging holes, trying to protect the house from wolves. Like she's doing all the same stuff as her husband and then she's being left there alone, totally vulnerable yeah, to it's like anything. There's a there's a brutality to the West mm -hmm. in and outside of the house. And yep. like in, um, when you study the searchers in school, like if you, when you do it, when I did it in uh, college, a big thing that they say about that is part of the um, central drama of the searchers is that John Wayne is this like, no-nonsense mountain man. And as there are more and more people settling in the area, like, that becomes less and less needed. And so one of the central uh, issues for him and his character is, like, is he going to stay a frontiersman or is he going to move into a domestic life? And so they say, like, the shots of, the shot of him in the doorway is, like, him choosing the wilderness over the home and like within that idea there's this idea that the home is then a safe place and it's like he's choosing the rough and rugged outdoors and the uncertainty of the outdoors and like rejecting domesticity but really when you see it from this perspective it's like the home is just as, if not, like, more vulnerable than the outdoors in mm -hmm. a lot of cases. And, you know, I would imagine, I don't have enough uh, knowledge on the subject, like, but I think that it would be fair to say there's a decent amount of Westerns that are motivated by a crime committed against a house, like, a lot of times, like, something mm -hmm. being burned, someone being raped, someone being murdered. So I love the idea that, like, how have we really never thought of it this way? Like, 
when everybody leaves to go attack whatever is the perceived danger that attacked the home, they just leave people back at the house. And it's, and it's like, in this case, it's like a woman where most women would be in that position too, where you're, you're not really allowed to be even trained in how to protect yourself. Like, at least for her, her husband like give, has given her a gun and tells her to use it. Um, but there are plenty of women who wouldn't have that same um, action like taught to them. And they would just be sitting there like not knowing what to do. Right. And I, I want to talk about, I think one of the things... I think this one of this movie's greatest strengths is the way that it's able, the atmosphere that it's able to create. I think this movie is very, very atmospheric and moody and and tense. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the way it's shot. And I remember being struck both times I watched this movie by how claustrophobic they are able to make these like wide open spaces feel. There are so many shots exterior shots of just like broad beautiful like wilderness you could run infinitely in any direction Mm -hmm. which on its face is like oh so there's so much freedom there because you could go any way you want but what we realize is you could run any way you want and you're not gonna find anyone like you would just die out there it's sort Um, of like with alien stark contrast it's sort of like with alien how it's like the tagline was in space, no one can hear you scream. Mm-hmm. It's like when you think of space, you think of it as this like very vast expanse. But if you're actually there, you can't really go anywhere. And it's like right. if you go, it'll just like explode or freeze mm-hmm. or whatever happens in space. I'm not a scientist anyway. What you were saying? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so I want to talk a little bit about. So obviously, we see. Um, both of these relationships between the two couples and we're also seeing the way that they interact with each other. It, it starts to become clear that um, like initially when the Gideon and Emma move in, Lizzie and Isaac are pretty welcoming and they're like, you have a lot of work cut out for you trying to get the, the your property ready for winter, mm-hmm. but we'll help you as much as we can. Uh, which is a lot of work for them, and I think they realize as they start trying to help that it's the their new neighbors are a lot less equipped yeah. to be living out there than they probably thought, and it's a lot more work for our protagonists than I think they anticipated. Um, but in the beginning, I think we see some genuine uh, closeness and affection grow between the two couples, and it's interesting, A, to watch that in a time period where it wouldn't have really been appropriate for men and women in different relationships to interact. So the first scene we see them together is like both couples across the table from one another and the women are talking to each other and the men are talking to each other and they don't ever make eye contact across that dividing line in the table, right? It's like the two women are speaking to each other. The two men are speaking to each other. The conversations are parallel and they're sort of like, you know, Gideon will say, oh, yes, we heard this was the best time to move. And Isaac says, we'll help you. And then Emma will, or Lizzie will say something to Emma. But it's like they aren't, that divide doesn't get crossed. And Mm -hmm. we see as those lines start to get blurred, there's more tension within the two relationships. Yeah. Um, 
And I think it's interesting. So I think there's this plot that comes in or this subplot that comes in that Lizzie is worried. Lizzie has um, had a baby who that was stillborn before the other couple moves in. And I think she becomes worried that Emma and her husband, Isaac, are having a relationship. Um, and that sort of spurs on a lot of the... It seems to spur on a lot of her sort of like careening further and further into madness. And I'm curious what your read on some of that stuff is. Okay, I'm so glad you said that because for me, I thought like the opposite. Like I thought that the, so, and also this might just be the film being so effective and done so well. The way that the, um, and this is also probably something too that makes this movie um, like there was a couple things early on when I was like, oh, she's fucking her husband and watch this movie with my boyfriend. He was like, what? Like some of the hints of that in the beginning are so fucking subtle that, of course, as a woman, you see it and you're like, oh, damn, like, oh, shit. <laughs> can you can you uh, tell us some examples? Like what well, were so things that you noticed that your partner didn't see? Okay, so, like, the, the biggest one right away was when they were, the two husbands are working on, mm -hmm. like, a fence. And the, mm -hmm. the, um, Emma is like, I'm gonna go give them water. And when she gave... And she says, I'm gonna take the men water. Yes. Mm -hmm. And when she gives water to Isaac, Lizzie's husband, she tips the cup into his mouth. And like, and they it. make direct eye. And they contact make eye contact while she puts water in his mouth. When she gives the the cup to her husband, she hands it to him. Mm -hmm. So like, to me, watching that, I'm like, wow, they're totally fucking. This is crazy. And then like, my boyfriend is like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and and like, I and I love that. Like, I love the fact that that it's it's like something subtle like that mm -hmm. that. Especially for women, um, especially in those times, too, when you have, like, um, I don't know, I a friend of mine had told me a while back about this, like, article in the New York Times about how women are really good at picking up on subtle cues because there's, like, evidence or, again, I'm not a scientist, but there's evidence to suggest that, like, in during the caveman times, like, the men would leave and they would go hunt. And then it would just be women like this movie protecting their actual home and the newborn children and the children. And that often the women would congregate together. And if there was danger, if some of the, if someone was sensing danger or if there was some, someone could see something, you know, that the other women couldn't see, they would have to communicate it through like subtle looks and cues so that the women would know and that that has continued throughout our evolution that we still have those like weird subtle things that we notice or pick up on amongst women mm -hmm. um so i always love in a movie especially one that's written and directed by women um where that comes through in and sometimes in a case like this where it could be an enjoyable movie for men and women, but sometimes for the women, there's like kind of extra winks and nods mm -hmm. in there that we might pick up on more. Um, but it's funny because when I was watching it, um, I don't know, because it's also kind of a spoiler, so it's hard to say, but 
You can, we, we'll just say right now, we're going to, we're in this conversation, we're going to spoil this whole movie. So. Yes. So when I was watching the earlier scenes in the movie and when I saw the scene with the water, I thought that was confirmation that they were, ha that something was going on between Emma and Isaac. I didn't think that Lizzie seemed particularly aware of it or worried about it. Oh, I interesting. I think the shot, well, we can get into it. I, I am less convinced that the affair was actually happening as opposed to just being something that Lizzie was concerned about. But I felt like the shot of... Caitlin Gerard right after we see uh because she's watching like when Emma goes to get water and she goes I'm going to go get water for the men she's like mm -hmm. make sure you bring water for us too like they're all working outside it's super hot yeah and she's watching her give water to the guys and I feel like that shot of Caitlin Gerard right after sort of while Gideon is drinking water on his own I feel like she looks like, she is very aware of the difference in the way that they drink Yeah, water. that's so funny because I, I thought that, like, I also agree that by the end, I thought the affair was more in her head than it was actually a thing. But, like, watching those earlier scenes, to me it seemed like she had so much else going on or she was, like, above it. And that, like, she just thought that Emma was kind of young and naive and stupid and not feeding into it. Mm. So it's funny because then at the end I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I think she, yeah. I, I, it's funny. Like, I agree with you that I think by the end of the movie, I was definitely more um, in the camp of it being something that she made out to be bigger than it was in her head. Mm -hmm. um, but, or I don't know, though, because why would that journal be a thing? I was going to say, so let's talk about it. Because <laughs> this is one of the best parts of this movie is I think this is a movie that I've seen it twice now. I think yeah. you can very much read it either way. Like I was watching it. So I came out of it the first time being like all of it was in her head. And then I watched it a second time and I was like, okay, going into it, knowing how it ends, I'm going to see something really different. And I just came out of it being like, I'm not sure. Yeah. So, and I don't think, so I think sometimes that could be a symptom of the movie being poorly conceived or not well executed. I don't think that's the case here. I think the movie is very intentionally trying to keep it very ambiguous what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, so we should say what happens as the plot goes forward is Emma gets pregnant. And once she gets pregnant, she starts to become um, very paranoid and sort of display symptoms that, that there is some kind of mental illness creeping in. She's talking a lot about, um, or that there is some kind of supernatural stuff going on, right? right? Which is the other possibility. So I think she's talking about demons. She's like naming all different demons. She's um, the first scene where this manifests. Uh, Gideon comes over to Isaac and Emma's house to like wake them up um, and tell them that something is wrong and he needs them to come over to the house. So they go over to their house. The men wait outside again. Um, Lizzie goes outside and while she's outside, 
she, I'm sorry, while she's inside, she finds Emma hiding under the bed and like crying and talking to herself about how there's something not right about the land and there's something in the wind and it wants to take her baby and it's coming to get her. Um, and after that, we start seeing flashbacks of um, Lizzie suspecting something being not right and feeling something wrong um, with where they were living or f suspecting that she wasn't safe in the home, which happened while she was pregnant with her child, Sam, who was a stillborn baby. Um, so yeah, I want to get into the stuff, all of the supernatural elements of the movie and the things that either are or are not happening to the women in this film. <laughs> um, but I think like, I think I want to say off the top that whether or not you end this movie thinking that there is something supernatural going on, the level of tension in this movie is played so beautifully. Like Absolutely. it is stressful throughout. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I and mean, from the jump, honestly, like as that opening scene of her coming out of the house, like of the cabin with the bait, like that's the baby that's not making any noise and she's covered in blood. Like, from the jump, you're like, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. This is not going to be great. <laughs> like, you're like, yeah. <laughs> and I think we get, um, you know, this is a movie, this is a bit of a spoiler, but since we know at the beginning of the film that Emma is dead, we flash back and forth between um, Isaac takes Gideon to the closest town so that he can go home and like send for their things. So that is when we get all these extended periods of Lizzie being alone in the house. Yeah. And it's after Emma has died. And so we get flashbacks to like when the two couples were interacting and and also flashbacks to before Emma and Gideon moved there when when Lizzie was pregnant. But we get these sequences after Emma has died when Lizzie's alone at the house and we have scenes where she is talking to and interacting with Emma's ghost, which I think like could in any other movie feel like very silly. And like, I think it's hard to have a ghost just like speaking frankly to a character, especially in a movie that is like, I think relatively lower budget this movie didn't have like no budget but it's mm -hmm. not they had like all kinds of practical effects to make this actress look like a ghost right like but those sequences are so unsettling and there's one scene in particular where she's uh lizzie's gone over to gideon and emma's home which was empty and she sees the ghost and whatever and then she's walking back sort of like in the middle of the night hannah's like freaking out just hearing me talk about it she's walking back to her house and the ghost of, like, dead pregnant Emma is just, like, walking behind her. Yeah. Ooh. So Sophie knows, like, and you may um, have figured out, like, we don't do ghost stuff on this <laughs> podcast because I don't do ghost stuff. Like, it scares me so much. And the shot of her walking across, like, the, just, like, the empty, not wasteland, but expansive land of the frontier uh -huh. with that fucking ghost walking behind her. I was like, no, no, no. And like the, um, when the ghost first appeared. Yeah. Cause it was a jump scare, but it was an effective yes. jump scare. Cause what does she say? Right. She goes, where's your gun, Lizzie? Yeah. 
I screamed. Like, I jumped and screamed. That does not happen to me very often in horror movies. Mm-hmm. I jumped and screamed. And I also smacked my boyfriend, like, in the neck. Like, I karate chopped him. Like, I just was like... <laughs> <laughs> like... Is he okay? <laughs> yes, but... He was also afterwards, he was like, wow, you don't really, he's like, you really don't jump like that when you watch horror movies. And I was like, that one really got me. Like, that scare really got me. Um, I also think a little bit since, um, I remember we talked about this when I saw Invisible Man, but the, the shot in Invisible Man where she dumped the paint and he was right uh-huh. there. Uh-huh. The way that the... that A scared me, but B, the girl next to me screamed so loud. I feel like watching this, I was like, I feel like maybe I'm subconsciously surrendering myself to the jump scare a little bit more because I just, uh-huh. like, want that um, reaction. But, yeah, both those things, like, truly freaked me the fuck out. And, like, even talking about it, it's hard because I really don't do ghost stuff. Like, I don't because it scares yeah. me. Um, so going into this movie, I didn't know right away that it was going to be a ghost thing. Um, which is like, cool, thanks for telling me, Sophie, since, like, I found this movie online. I was like, this seems like it'd be a good idea. Um, but... <laughs> to be fair, the ghost is relatively minimal. But there That's is, true. like, a lot of other spooky shit going on. But that did scare me. Those, it yeah. is scary. The ghost is... Du- I, but I totally agree with you. Like, sh- it's very effective. Yeah, and I and also... it's subtle. Like, it's a great... And... It's kind I of think- like, um, what's his face? Uh, what's the ghost from... Christmas Carol. That's exactly what I thought. Uh, Marley. I yeah, Jacob Marley. Say. It's very yeah. Jacob Marley. It is. And I was going to say Bob O'Reilly. <laughs> further to the credit of this movie and to the actress, um, I should look her name up, but the actress who plays Emma, um, whose name is Julia Goldani Tellis, I know her from The Affair, hmm. um, where she plays a An adulterer? Ratty, huh? Another what? adulterer? <laughs> no, she's the daughter of one of the couples. Oh, weird. Um, <laughs> but, like, she she plays, like, a pretty bratty, insufferable person. So, like, A, her performance in this is great. But, B, I saw this when I was, like, right in the midst of watching The Affair. And so I think it speaks to her performance, but also to the quality of the movie that those ghost scenes worked for me when I'm used to seeing her be, mm-hmm. like, a really bratty, rich, like, socialite New York teenager. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, this might be a little TMI, and I might be a little tipsy, um, but my my boyfriend, I think, um, something that's sort of come about in our uh, quarantine experience is he's become a lot more interested in, like my personal preferences when it comes to women. Mm. Um, Because obviously, like, he is aware that I am bisexual and that I've dated women and stuff, but Uh he has a lot more, like, questions about it now and asks me a lot, like, a lot of times when we're watching something, he'll be like, which girl do you like more? (laughs) (laughs) Fascinating. Yeah, it's really funny to me because I'm always just like, why? Like, it's just really funny, but... So he asked Do you me, ask him the same thing? Like, do you guys have the same taste? Oh, absolutely not. We have very different tastes. Because I, and like, I know this about myself. I prefer a more, like, tomboy type of girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and I swear to God, like, I, I say, I, I often will say, like, 
I think that my taste in women came from like Christina Ricci in <laughs> Casper mm-hmm. and now and then. And then I remember seeing this girl when I was like uh, doing a road trip with my best friend when I was 19. I saw this girl in Reno, Nevada, of all places. But I saw her like walking across the street. And I thought she was like the most beautiful, coolest girl I had ever seen. And she was, she had just like completely bone straight, super blonde, parted down the middle hair. She was wearing a gigantic white t-shirt and like pretty baggy pants. And I just thought she was like everything I've ever wanted in my life. So my tendency is definitely more toward like a tomboy type of girl. I think that's also Mm -hmm. kind of because I am that way too. Um, so it's funny. So his, he's always asking me, like, now he's always asking me, which girl do you think is more attractive? And, like, why? Um, but it's funny because he asked me that with these two women. And I was like, you know, it's funny because he asked me that, like, 15 minutes into the movie. And I was like, if you had asked me when this movie first started, I don't know what I would say. But now that we're 15 minutes in and I'm getting to know the characters, I was like, they're both doing a great job. So I find both of these women attractive because they're doing a really good job in their performances. But um, I'm basically like, Lizzie is like this like strong, empowered woman. So I'm more drawn to her. And then the actress plays Emma does a great job being like sort of zip it. So I was like, I'm not as into her. (laughs) For sure. But she does a great job with that. So it's funny to hear that you had also seen her in something else before. Yeah, I mean, there's a great... One of the lines that, like, really struck me watching it this second time that I think it demonstrates that that divide between the two of them, but I think I'm going to say that and then I'm going to qualify it, is when they first go... When Gideon comes to get them and it's like, something is wrong, I need you to come to the house... And Emma's hiding under the bed, and um, Lizzie, like, drugs her with, uh, I want to say chloroform. That's not what I mean. Um, ether, I assume. Ether, yeah. Because um, she also she does that to back- herself a couple times. <laughs> yes. And she walks back outside and is like, pull your wife out from under the bed and tie her to it. And it's, like, so brutal. Mm-hmm. And... Um, as we see more flashbacks, like in the moment, it's like, oh, this is because Lizzie is like a strong frontier woman and she like can't, will not suffer someone like Emma who's just like being quote unquote weak. But then as we see flashbacks, we see Lizzie like having those same experiences when she's pregnant and it's like, oh, it feels like it's less mm-hmm. that she is, like it's more that she can't handle, like the, if Emma is having those experiences. It means her experiences were real and she has to like confront them and she doesn't want to do that. Yeah. So she's going to like treat her like shit. Yeah. I mean, she basically feels small. She basically gaslights her in the same way that Isaac gaslit her when she had the same feelings. Right. And I think that's also sort of um, an underlying aspect of this movie is the way that when, when we see that she had those same feelings when she was pregnant and her husband just reacted to her like, you're crazy, yeah. you can completely see how then when there's a new couple in town, but it's basically three against one, how she would very easily align with the majority right. um, and, and take 
and then sort of take Emma's experience as like an affront to her rather than, you know, actually sympathizing with her or hearing her out. It's, 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 I think it also plays to so much of the, um, aggression that women have for other women that is yeah, just sort of like, like internalizing that that the absolutely that we're getting. yeah it's like this ever evolving um competitiveness between women that you know as empowered as we all feel you can't always escape and it's so ingrained in us like mm -hmm. i think that showing just like the course of their relationship shows that too and especially in the ending it kind of makes you question everything and question right. Lizzie's experiences so then you really have to question like if any of that was even happening or if that was you know like her own her own issue yeah and I'm glad so since you said that I wanted to read a different quote from this variety article which we will link to in the show notes that I loved which is the film is much more successful as a feminized reworking of the Western mythos. Isaac foolishly dismisses Lizzie's fears as irrational, but though her terrors may not take the exact form she describes, the danger of which she warns him is very real. Meanwhile, the weakling Gideon seems to buckle under the weight of his pretty wife's scorn. The marginalized menfolk of the wind will pay a heavy price for underestimating the will of their wives and for assuming that as men, they are masters of their destinies. I knew you'd like that. I'm trying to snap next to my mic. <laughs> so I, what I want to know, like, is when we get to the end of this film, do you think that there is something in the wind, or do you think it was in her head, or have you not decided, which I think is also an, an okay option? Because I don't know if I'm certain. I think there is something in the wind, but I don't think that Emma was having an affair with Isaac. I don't either. I think there's something in the wind that was speaking to the women and that was manipulating the women. Um, especially the amount of times that they do that rundown of the demons of the... What is it? The Demons of the Prairie? So yeah, she's like reading. They, they, they both run into a priest on their way out to the settlement who gives them a little like pamphlet that has a list of demons to watch out for, basically. Yeah. And the one they read over and over again is Succubeth, which is the bringer of jealous thoughts. And that Wait, is it Succubeth like or... Um... Crap, I can't remember because one of these also, again... Maybe TMI and I'm a little tipsy, but one of them was Jezza. Jezebel? No. Maybe it was Jezebel. Jezebeth. Jezebeth. But I yeah. kept going to my boyfriend, whispering in his ear, and going, Jezebeth likes what she likes. <laughs> He's like, Jezebeth wants what she wants. And like, that's hilarious. Creeping him out. I've also been rewatching um, Supernatural, so when she's like, Abaddon, Destroyer of Worlds, I was like, yes, Abaddon was just a storyline in 
in a supernatural. Yeah, um, I think that like I think the way that they re recount those names for you a couple times, I absolutely think that there was something supernatural going on. But I think that it was more like the demons of the prairie or whatever are like preying on the women mm. in their um I mean, I've never seen, like, Insidious or anything. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I was about to say, like, I don't know. Isn't that what demons do? They, like, f- pick your thing you're most scared of and freak you out. Like, <laughs> yeah, they prey on the things that you're worried about. Right. In, in, so in that's kind of how I – that's kind of how I read it. But, but it could also totally just be, like, any person left alone in that kind of expanse would lose their mind. Yeah. So – I, I, at the end of the movie, I left thinking there was no affair, but something was manipulating the women, some mm-hmm. force. Um, but that yeah, it could also I, just be like the wind. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think I sort of said this earlier, but I totally agree. I think one of the things that is so great about this movie is, um, it works both ways. I think mm-hmm. whether or not you leave the movie thinking that something supernatural was happening, I think the movie still works effectively either way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I remember, uh, spoiler alert for a movie that came out like 10 plus years ago, but um, I, as so a horror sassy, fan, Sophie. <laughs> I hate the trope of like, oh, it was in that person's head the whole time. Movies like Shutter Island, because I hate the idea that like, oh, there were no stakes all along, mm-hmm. right? Like when movies or like The Uninvited, where like it wraps up with a bow and it's like, actually everything that you saw for the entirety of this movie never happened. This person was crazy. What a fun ride. Like that to me, unless it's done exquisitely, which like it almost Fight never Club. is. Yeah. Um, unless it's done exquisitely, which it almost never is, like it's it, it makes me so angry. And I think, especially in horror, it was like a very very popular way to end horror movies for like ten years, and it drove me insane. Because of so, uh, the Sixth Sense, probably. So yeah, I love I love this movie because this movie works both ways. You can you can leave this movie thinking that there were demons on the prairie that were haunting and targeting these women and it's an effective movie you can also believe that there is nothing supernatural happening and people are just going a little bit stir crazy because they are totally isolated and they have nothing to do especially the women they have nothing to do except sit in these empty houses and listening to the wind howl outside and try to protect themselves from very real risks like wolves and men and other predators and so I think, like, this movie, this movie... I just want to snap to that, too, Sophie. That should be a to other sound predators. bite just for every everybody of all time, yes. <laughs> um, Wolves but and men and other predators, like... That can be our our next, uh, our next shirt. That can uh, be our first shirt. Um, but I want to say that I love this movie because it works in both directions and because the way this movie ends... So she has been stabbed. Mm-hmm. 
in the in her perception of it, she gets like thrown across the cabin by the demon and lands on a pair of scissors. Either that did happen or she harmed herself. We don't know. But she has been stabbed in the stomach. We can, I think, pretty safely suppose she's been mortally wounded because there's no one else around for miles and miles. And yeah. she has this huge wound and it's like 1800. Um, but we see her sitting in the field and the way the camera is and the way the shot is framed, we don't see her house or the neighbor's house. She's just alone Mm -hmm. as though none of it happened, right? Like as though there never was anything here but her. And we hear her inhale and then exhale very deeply. And then she inhales, cut to credits, which is like just... To me, what, like I got goosebumps just talking about it. It's it really drives home how well the creators of this film understand tension. That just like leaving us yeah. on that exhale, leaves us being like, but but wait, what? But then what? Right? Like, if she had exhaled, it would have been like the end. Like that cycle is over. The movie's over. And yeah. So they end it when she's like at the top of her ex or inhale, which is such a great move. Right. Well, and you also like, you know. When she walks out there, she puts her hand down on a quilt and she sits down and she's on a bed in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of goes in on her face. And as it backs up, she's just sitting on the ground. So it's yeah. like it at the end in those last few minutes, it really, really mucks up our perception and like mm-hmm. leans into how much you cannot trust what you've seen or experienced at the whole movie. Yeah. In a really effective way, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think for, it, it's funny too, because it reminds me, and I don't want to get, I, I, it reminds me so much of this other movie, but I also don't want to like, have you ever seen Meek's Cut Off? I haven't. Okay. So this is yeah. a lot like Meek's Cut Off, and Meek's Cut Off is a movie that I hate um (laughs) but it's a similar kind of thing where it's a very very tense um western sort of movie about you know like going westward and everything but um i just i'm trying to talk about it without like ruining like the whole thing but movie that at the end I was so angry I was furious and um the way this movie ends made me so happy and kind of fixed a like a hole that I had because of Meek's cut off um that makes me glad yeah (laughs) so it was like very satisfying because even though it was sort of unfinished it did something for me that that movie did not so I want to know, Hannah, out of, I know they didn't drink Bloody Marys on the frontier as far as we know, but out of five Bloody Marys, how many Bloody Marys would you give the win? Hey, we don't know what was happening. She could have been bleeding that creepy priest, which we also didn't talk about, but I found the scene with the priest very creepy. When he said, when he's like, oh, but surely Emma saw it. And all of a sudden it's like, boom. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah, that seems terrifying. And then he goes like, oh, oh my. And it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so that crazy. actor did a great job. And his eyes turn black and, oh yeah, all of that. I think what they did with very little was really well 
done. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that that early on, earlier on shot um, when the lights blew out and she tried to light the candle and there was a shadow behind her. Mm -hmm. I was like, fuck! Like, so scary. <laughs> um, I really love that. And I, because I also think, and we didn't get into this too much, but I also think that there's also an aspect of this movie that speaks to just the female experience of being on your own and how how scary being a woman can be in that even if you don't even if you think you see a shadow and it's not there the like the fear and the um the genuine um danger yeah, is so real that it can be really scary. I mm -hmm. think that this movie communicates that too very well. Um, Definitely. But yeah, I gave I would give this movie. Um, I think it's funny because I couldn't decide, so I wrote four and four and a half. But as we've discussed it, I'm gonna go ahead and give it a four and a half. Oh dang! Beautiful. So I'm gonna give it. Um, four Bloody Marys and, wait, no, four Bloody Marys, one of which is made with sheep's blood, but is it Goat's dead? <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, Damn it. And then I was going to say like a beer bag or something. I love it. No, I love that. It's like with goat's blood, except was the goat actually dead? Was we'll the goat actually know. dead? Does that goat um, know what's the goat from the witch? <laughs> Black Philip. Yeah. This is like white Peter. Does he know Black Philip? Uh, um You need to pick a so, way more uh like stereotypical white name, like it needs to Chad. Be like white Chad. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> White Chad sounds like the worst name of all time um a couple <laughs> years ago for nro we rented a vehicle and we drove from state college pennsylvania to nro and it was jeremy and i and our friend gail and david and stan and we rented i forget what kind of car david had requested but you know how every time uh, you try to rent a car. They're like, we don't have that car. We have to give you something bigger. Oops. <laughs> so they gave us a Toyota 4Runner. It was a black Toyota 4Runner, and we named it Chad, and we called it Chad for the entire time. <laughs> so that's like now that's my go-to white boy name. Anyway, I'm going to You know, I hooked, up with, I hooked up with a Chad that we I the whole time kept calling him the Chad, and the whole time yeah. he just was like, why do you keep calling me that? And I'm like, there is no other choice but to be yeah, the Chad. that's just what it is. And if you um, didn't know, Sophie, did you know he no longer lives in Chicago because he works on a fishing boat in Alaska? I didn't know that, but of course he does. <laughs> um, so I actually reviewed this movie for bloodygoodhorror.com, um, and I gave it, you'll be shocked, five stars now at the time we were rating movies on a one to ten or one out of ten what one to ten scale you know numbers they've now changed it to stars so i gave it a 10 out of 10 oh okay uh, i thought you were gonna say five stars i truly thought you were saying that we would be shocked to know you were rating it on a five star scale 
says our scale is <laughs> no, so all over I, the place. <laughs> I just want you to know that uh, as I've done in the past, I did give this movie a 10 out of 10, which has been translated to a five stars, which is being translated to a five Bloody Marys. Although one of them is made with goat's blood or is it? We'll never know. Um, yeah, this movie was super rad. I'm glad that we watched it. Um, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it because it's very fun. And Hannah, I think you have our in later news this week. So I try to look for like very serious but empowering lady news. And instead, I realized that a lot of news for ladies right now is not great. Um, so I think that we should all... I don't know, do what we can to help. But um, in lieu of that, um, I found an article about a rescue pit bull that is the mother to a bunch of other rescued animals. So it's a rescue pit bull in um, somewhere in the Midwest who basically had been alone since she had been rescued and then they presented her with ducklings and um instead of i don't know eating them or something she <laughs> would let she would bring them in to try to have them like suckle at her and Aww. she would try to lick them but her owner is like your tongue is too strong you can't yeah They're so freaking cute there's a video of it if i don't know if anybody um knows of this, but there's a thing on, like, Snapchat called The Dodo, and it's all animal news. Yeah, it's I lo- it's on their website, but it's a pit bull that raised three baby ducklings and um, two piglets. <laughs> so, basically, a pit bull that's a mommy to a bunch of other animals that are all rescues and live together in a beautiful little harmony and... They all love each other, and it's great. <laughs> That's beautiful. I'm very glad that you shared that. I think, as you said, uh, and I think as we've said on previous episodes, obviously our intention generally is for the In Lady or News section is to is to highlight women that we want to, like, shout out that are doing great things or to, like, bring attention to areas of um, news surrounding women and, and gender rights that are problematic. But I think... Because right now, uh, everything feels very heavy, like Hannah said, even though there are things that need to be highlighted, sometimes, to be totally frank, we don't have the energy to do that. Um, and so we want to make sure that everyone's taking care of themselves. And sometimes that looks like watching cute animals of sweet mama pit bulls taking care of their baby ducks. Yeah. Yeah. There is really cute because um the woman who owns the pit bull and all the other animals she's like sometimes we don't know how animals are going to interact with each other until we see them confronted with it um and i think that it's especially great that the mom is a pit bull (laughs) yeah exactly um so if you want to get in touch with us you can follow us on twitter we are at 28 days lady underscore er you can also email us at 28 days ladyer at gmail.com i think that's it for us this week hannah what do you think yeah i think that's all we got to really get right now do you have any parting advice for our listeners 
Um, always pee after sex and always watch your back when you're playing basketball with toddlers. 